Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell, as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be made so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, and welcome to episode 21 of Hire the Smile. It's Mike Powell along with Katie Arline. Hey, Katie, how are you doing? Hey, Michael. I'm doing well, thank you. Just enjoying this beautiful Thursday morning. It is quite nice outside. A little chilly, but we're okay with that. No snow. No snow and no rain, so. Yeah. Just to let you in on the very methodical way uh, Katie and I pick subjects to discuss it's sort of like a few days before, like, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> but honestly, this time I knew weeks ago, I wanted to talk about goal setting because mm-hmm. at my own veterinary practice, we have been doing all of our performance reviews. And the second part of the review section is, you know, our goals. Hey, you've gotten your review, your self-review and have the peer review. And from that, there's some good information. And so we're setting goals. And even myself, I sat with our operations manager yesterday to discuss my goals for the coming year. So goals are a great thing. Katie, I know you you work with a lot of practices. What is your impression of goals? And how do you talk to the practices you work with to tell them that you need to do goals? One of the things that really pops up when you talk about goals with practices, uh, particularly if they're new to the whole kind of really organized performance management concept is they're like, well, we don't have time for this. And like, what's a good goal? And there's just sort of a lot of confusion and excuses. But once you show them that setting goals, and we'll talk about the types of goals that we set, or we ask people to set, but goals can be very motivating, and they can be very good for people's sense of professional development and even, you know, self-esteem and all of those things. And, you know, they don't necessarily have to be like, well, I'm going to have my client care coordinator open up a new practice for me or anything like that, but they can be on a smaller scale. And I think uh, once you educate people about the power of goals, then the, the light comes on. But there are definitely some challenges and some pitfalls that we'll talk about here. For sure. And, and I think, you know, where goals work in wealth, I think if we're running a really uh, I would say very mindful, you know, on target performance review session, you know, you're sort of, you have your annual meeting. Mm-hmm. The first time you do it, it's it's kind of awkward for everybody because yeah. well, what are we going to talk about? What we like to do for people that didn't listen to our previous podcast on, on performance review is we do about 50% of the review is scored on how well they live and demonstrate the values of the company, 50% on specific jobs suited to their role. And so people do a self-review, and then there's a peer review that's anonymous. The manager compiles the information. So from that, there's typically a theme with everybody's review. And from that, 
from your own self-discovery or from some of the feedback from the managers, there's some great ideas for you or anybody to develop. Well, you know, these are things I need to work on this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think that it's it's really interesting uh, because often when we do these types of reviews and you you get the core values, when you're talking about sort of soft skills type stuff, there's a lot of overlap in core values and, and core competencies and how people are, you know, how they're living up to the values. So you're right, there's, there is a theme that tends to run through these. And like you said, maybe the first time people are just sort of freaked out about the concept of it at all, and it can be difficult. But once people are on the program, and they understand what the point of these are, and they've been getting good, timely, constructive criticism and positive reinforcement throughout the year, then they get to goal time. That's kind of like, this is like a, a reset check in opportunity. So it's easier to sort of pluck out those themes and say, okay, what can we do with these as far as moving them towards being a goal? Because I think the key thing that we need to emphasize is what we want in a performance review system is that it's ongoing feedback. Mm-hmm. And so let's say March and April, my company did a lot of all of our reviews. We have 43 employees, did everybody. And everybody has set their goals. So now we're going to check in, whether it's once a month, every quarter, And it's more like, how are you doing with the goals? Mm -hmm. And feedback, and if there's any area, and this is, the, I think, a key thing of performance reviews is we're not going to wait till the end of the year till we have the performance review to talk about something that happened six months ago that maybe, you know, you should have done differently or better or how you interacted with somebody. I mean, feedback has to be in the moment. It has to be the continuous. So second year of doing your review system and the goals, you go into the meeting, there's no surprises, everything, you know what's been going on. And it's more of a, okay, let's talk about how the goals went mm-hmm. and let's look at how we can make some new goals for the year. Mm-hmm. And, and it becomes a very, I guess, a process that people look forward to because the goals become a challenge in themselves and people like how it motivates them and how they get better professionally, personally. We all like to learn. And so when we as a company give opportunities for people to develop, it motivates them, excites them, uh, and engages them. And so these annual meetings become something to look forward to. Definitely. I, I know it sounds really counterintuitive, but it I promise <laughs> it happens that way. People do start to look forward to it. And not just because it might be tied to compensation, but also for goal reasons. Yeah. Katie, let's talk about the kind of goals that people would have. And I think when we're talking about vet professions, it ranges from you know, somebody who cleans the kennel or to, you know, technicians to veterinarians. So just sort of share in your experiences how goals are created. I think uh, when we're talking about goals, they're kind of two broadish categories. So there's really functional professional type goals. So it could be for a veterinarian, they want to learn how to do some type of advanced surgery or something like that. So that'd be sort of a job-related goal. Or somebody who works at the customer service desk wants to learn how to better react in, in an emergency situation or something like that. So those are very sort of functional goals that are tied to a job description or tied to traditionally, you know, what you think of as a veterinarian or as a receptionist or whatever the case may be. Uh, and then there's the soft skill goals, uh, which are sort of more of like the personal goals, uh, which to me are kind of the more fun ones maybe more difficult, but they might be things like, well, I, uh, you know, I've got feedback and I know that I need to become a better listener. So, you know, putting together an explicit goal that helps somebody move on that track, I think is, is the other sort of side of goals. 
they can be scary to work on, uh, especially when it's a soft skill type goal, because often you have to be vulnerable and you have to put yourself out there. But often those are the ones where you get the most light bulbs going on and the most satisfaction when you get to them. Yeah. And I can think of some examples. I know a practice we worked with in the past, there was somebody that just didn't realize how abrupt they would be when they were communicating with somebody. And they were able to sort of say, this is something I've got to work on. I've, mm-hmm. you know, this feedback, people have always talked to me about that. And, you know, really, it was just a matter of this person going to the people in her immediate team and just saying, you know what, I've gotten the feedback. I, I can be a bit snippy. I don't mean to be. Mm-hmm. I just need you to tell me in the moment. If you tell me at the end of the day, I don't remember how I was feeling, what triggered how I responded. So tell me when it happens. Mm-hmm. And the change in, in the team, A, that they had the confidence that they could be upfront with this person. Yep. This person was able to get the feedback in the moment, realized how it came across, and made such a huge difference for everybody. Those are the kind of things that you really like to see. And you know, we have enough crap in our lives. If at least in work we can we know we're dealing with people that have each other's backs. Mm-hmm. Any kind of feedback is to help each other, not to put anybody down, is to make us a better team. Those are the kind of things that I like seeing. Yeah. And it's it's been a while now, but we recall when I, I went to the Dale Carnegie course and I talk about Dale Carnegie all the time, you roll your eyes. But there were a lot of sort of things that I learned as a manager, you know, on how to deal with people and how to sort of put my own anxieties aside and have more self-awareness and be able to put myself out there. And I still remember my first performance review after the Dale Carnegie course, you know, it'd been maybe six or eight months. And the feedback that I got was so overwhelming, you know, and it was like this, this actually worked and this, these are the the changes that I want to make people saw and it was real. And it was just such a a great feeling and such a, a boost of confidence to know that you can move forward from your sort of anxieties or your, your things that have followed you around maybe your whole life. And you've been like, well, there's, this is just me and I can't change it. It's like, well, you actually can. It's difficult and you have to put yourself out there, but it's definitely doable. Yeah, the same with me, because I mean, I've talked about it before, is that my tone when I'm overwhelmed, really tired, if I haven't slept well, I can get pretty reactive. And, and I don't know it. I'm, I'm much better now. Like I can sort of catch my triggers. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, I've been in situations where I could just see like the steam starting to rise and be like yeah. a cartoon. And I'm starting to turn red. Yeah. And with certain people who work closely with me, they actually have a word, like a, like a safe word. <laughs> Go home. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's yeah. a phrase. But they just say to me, and it's great because I can start getting edgy mm-hmm. and, and the word is turtle. Oh, yeah. And, and somebody can just say Mike Turtle. And it's like, oh, yes, thank you. That's a funny word in the context. Mm-hmm. And it sort of diffuses it. It's just a great way for me to know when, eh, maybe my temper is starting to get ahead of me. So mm-hmm. it, I think it's it's great for all of us. And I also think I like this example in terms of you know what job-specific goals could be because um, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be related to a veterinary task mm-hmm. or skill. So I can think of the uh, several years back, we had a really promising person in our organization was working up and taking on new responsibilities. She struggled with written communication and how to present written communication. And one of her goals was to go to a community college and understand how to use Word mm-hmm. and to do business writing. And so she, I think she did, it was like a three-month, two-month course online after hours. And it really just 
helped her in her job. It helped everybody else because she understood, oh, now I know how to use Word. It's not something I, she was really familiar with. I know how to craft a good email now. I know how to send a good a memo out. And those are the kind of things that I think often help people as much as how do I learn how to do X procedure or, or yeah. what have you. So just don't be focused on the veterinary related items. Yeah. Don't just look at a job description and say, well, what do we need to work on here? It's definitely broader than that. 100%. You know, let's say you're sitting down with me or anybody and you're saying, okay, I've identified this goal. So, you know, we have a system and I, I think we have a great system. How do you recommend people craft their goals? Because I just think making an ambiguous goal of like, I need to be a better person. Mm. What does that mean? Like, you have too much time. We don't have enough time to get into that. But yeah, I mean, I think one of the things about goals that really stymies people when they're trying to start them is just like, how do I put my arms around this big thing? You know, where do I even start? How do I narrow down what it needs to be? And I think the key here is narrowing it down. So we do like to ascribe to the um, theory of using SMART goals. So specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. And it really just sort of helps you take a look at your goal and make sure that it's something that you can put on paper and that you know what's involved. So, you know, I always, when we do an exercise, we might say, uh, I give out to groups, okay, let's put together a SMART goal. And I give them a sheet of paper and it says, you want to learn how to ski. And it's like, well, that's huge. Like, what kind of skiing do you want to do? Does it, do you want it to be downhill skiing? Do you want it to be cross-country skiing, alpine skiing, water skiing? What do you want it to be? So it has to be very specific. And then, you know, in order to really make progress towards a goal, it generally needs to be measurable. So like, how do you know when the goal is achieved? Can you go down a bunny hill or is your goal achieved when you go to the Olympics? You know, so there's a whole range of options within that spectrum. So you need to sort of narrow it down. And then obviously it needs to be achievable. So it has to be something, I mean, if you say, well, in three weeks, I'm going to go to the Olympics, it's not achievable. But you might say, well, in three months, I want to be able to make it down a beginner hill and not have a concussion at the end. So, you know, something achievable. Relevant is the R. So is this something that you want to do? And I mean, in the context of work, I think the relevant thing is a little more relevant, so to say, as, as opposed to personal life type thing. But you want to make sure it's something that's tied to the workplace. You don't want to learn about how to, I don't know, do forensic accounting necessarily if you are uh, a customer care representative at the front desk of a small animal clinic. It's like, okay, well, you might be interested in that, but that might not necessarily be relevant to your job. So you need to make sure that it's, it's relevant. And then time bound. So you need to put a, a date on it. Otherwise, you're just never going to do it because you don't have an end goal. Uh, and I've been doing a lot of side reading on productivity and, you know, how to motivate people who are procrastinators. And I, you don't see my hand in the air with this one. But, you know, I've been looking at things like the Pomodoro technique, and we're going on a bit of a tangent where you do specific chunks of work in specific amounts of time. And it can be really amazing how motivating it can be. If you have a short timeline on something, you're going to have uh, a lot more motivation to get it done. So that's the time bound side of things. So yeah, that smart framework is there to just sort of get you to narrow your goal down. I mean, the smart goal framework isn't the end of it. It's like, okay, well, now we know what the specific goal is, but we need to figure out how we're going to get there. But I really like that smart framework for 
getting people to think critically about their goal and, and specifically about it so they have some idea of how to achieve it. Yeah, I think working within those constraints really makes them focus on what yeah. the real goal is. And it helps. So, you know, if you're doing subsequent follow-up meetings, you then have the, you know, hey, this is April now and I want to have this done by August. So when you meet in June, you're sort of like, well, how are you going with it? And mm -hmm. is August still attainable? We'll get into this in a little bit, but I think life gets in the way, work gets yeah. in the way. COVID gets in the COVID, way. Totally. And, you know, you might be like, well, I thought August was going to work, but maybe it's not till later on. Mm -hmm. And that's why th those check-ins are so good because you have to alter sometimes on the go. Definitely. So there's a couple of articles that uh, we'll share in the links, but in terms of just things that as you're working with your, your people to develop goals, just things you, you need to be aware of. One of them is, uh, this goes back four years, but the knowledge is timeless. It's from Harvard Business Review. Three popular goal-setting techniques managers should avoid, mm -hmm. written by Dick Grote. Why I like this article, and I really recommend this, is he introduces it about what are the key things you need to do to set goals. Mm -hmm. So he draws on research done in 2002 by professors Edwin Locke and Gary Latham, they basically, this is a summary of their 35 years of research. And so there are five points that I'll talk about, and then we can talk about where, what they advise that we should not do. And so yeah. number one, setting specific difficult goals consistently leads to higher performance than just urging people to do their best. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a stretch goal. Like it's going to be a bit of work and it's better than just saying, yeah, just, just be better. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that's what a lot of us do. And I, I know myself in the past have done that. It's like, just be better. Yeah. Well, and that's like a really safe kind of like wussy way to do it, right? Not attacking Mike Panel personally, but <laughs> in general, it's like, well, if I set a low bar goal, then it's going to be easy to achieve and I don't have a lot of risk here. But, you know, if you set that higher goal, you have to work a lot harder to get there. And even if you don't get to that goal, then there are still benefits that you get from it for sure. Which is definitely their second point, that higher mm. goals generate greater effort than low goals. Oh, imagine that. So look at that. Yeah. And so the third point, tight deadlines lead to a more rapid work pace than loose deadlines. And I think having a time bound is so critical. Uh, yeah. It ends up being next year or the year after and just commit. I want to be done by August. It's All so right. true. The steps I got to do to get there. Yeah. And I think it can be difficult when, I mean, it's one thing when you have a timeline where somebody else is holding you accountable, like you're accountable to somebody for finishing the first module by the end of May or something like that. But when it's your own thing and it might be a self-improvement type goal, then it's very tempting to be like, well, sometime before I'm dead, I'm going to achieve this. It's like, well, that's not really uh, how, you know, how quickly you're going to work towards this if you have a very loose deadline. So that's an excellent point. Making a public commitment to a goal enhances personal Ugh. commitment. Yeah. And I think that's very true. Totally. Yeah. And that goes back to what you were talking about, about the employee that we worked with who, you know, went to people and said, hey, this is a goal of mine. I need your help. So you have the twofold benefit of the employees being like, oh, good, we can finally give this person feedback that we've wanted to give for five years. But also, you know, everybody knows that you've committed to it. So you are more accountable for sure when people know what you're working towards. The last point is an interesting one. Whether the goal is set by mutual agreement or by the boss alone doesn't make a big difference in goal achievement. And 
and I read that and I was like, I would think a goal that I came up with together would mm-hmm. probably be more meaningful than a boss saying, I want you to do this. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I agree with you. Although maybe it's, and we should probably should have done research to find out why before we uh, recorded this, but I'd be interested to see what the reasons are. But perhaps people are motivated because they're like, oh, well, the authority figure told me I had to do it. So I have to do it. So there's more of that accountability, perhaps. Right. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. So so the three things they talk about a bit, which managers need to be careful about. The first one is smart goals. Just talk about (laughs) Feel attacked. It was a trap. Yeah, it's yeah, we were we were meaning to talk to you about this, Katie. <laughs> oh, great. No, I think what they're saying here is that the smart goal isn't like the whole ball of wax. Like once you set the smart goal, that's cool. You but you don't have a plan, you still need support. So what they're saying is just because you put the smart goal together, you came to your meeting with SMART all filled out, doesn't mean that that's the end. Um, and I think the other interesting thing that they say is that you can put a smart goal together, but doesn't necessarily mean that it's like a good goal. Uh, so I like this, this line that they have in other words, a goal can easily be smart without being wise. So you have to make sure that is the goal actually like a good idea to me, I would say that the R, the relevance part of the SMART goal will help with this. Uh, but easily you could sort of say, well, okay. Somebody filled out a smart goal sheet because that was the exercise and that's it. But they didn't really think about whether this was a good goal or not. Absolutely. For sure. The second point they talk about are cascading goals. And by that means it's the goals start at the top. So the head of the company, practice owner says, this is our goal for the year. And then a manager or a team lead has a goal and then everybody leads from there. And it's just, it's all dependent on one person. And it's a, a road full of bottlenecks because if somebody doesn't do it, then everybody is waiting. Mm-hmm. And I know one of the things we were going to introduce into my own business or it's a concept called OKRs, objectives and key results. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they recommend is that everybody in the organization regarding whatever they do and whatever their role is sort of sets their own personal OKRs based on what the company-wide one is. And it's, as I was reading it and evaluating, and I think it's a great system. And once we're done with COVID and we have the capacity to focus on other things, you know, I want to experiment with it. But I think the biggest hurdle of it or the biggest potential drawback is just that cascade effect. Mm-hmm. That's why I like how we do goals by tying it into the performance review, because there's some things they can do that are geared towards the company, but much of it is what they can do individually. Definitely. Well, and I think you have to, this is predicated on the assumption that the company goals are good goals too. Not every company necessarily has long range goals, so, or necessarily good goals either. So it can be difficult, but I like the OKR idea where it's sort of more holistic. It's like, well, these are the... These are sort of the the framework and this is where we want to get to. And what do you think? How do you think you can influence this goal within your sphere of influence? I think it's it's yep. a really brilliant way of, of looking at things versus cascading goals. Absolutely. Yeah. So for example, a company's objective could be we want to improve customer service. Mm-hmm. Everybody can look at that and go, okay, how can I contribute to better customer service? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then everybody is sort of focused that, okay, this year and every year afterwards, customer service is really important to us. Yeah. It's just a more participatory way of doing things for sure. For sure. 
And then the last point they talk about is using percentage weights by assigning is percentage weights to uh, to goals to indicate their relative importance is often counterproductive. And it's basically, it just gets so granular. Yeah. It's a 5% difference. <laughs> Too many numbers. The other. <laughs> yeah. I just, it's just, I, I read this and I was like, who does that? Like, it just, I was actually shocked that this would be one of them. Totally. But I, I guess yeah. Maybe big corporations do this, but I was like, yeah, this is not something you'd be doing in a vet practice. No. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. What they say instead is to try sort of indicating like a high, medium, and low priority versus percentage and, and getting really bogged down on too many numbers. Right. So I think the other aspect we got to talk about when we're discussing goals is sometimes we'll set unattainable goals. Mm -hmm. So this is an article from earlier this year, many uh, presenters on this. And basically, you know, yes, we want to do stretch goals. They talk about Latham and uh, Locke talk about stretch goals, but then there is stretch beyond capacity. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on this article? Uh, I think it was really interesting. I think what stuck for me is they talked a lot about how setting nearly impossible goals and not achieving them isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world. So it was a bit like uh, they were talking about the psychology of it. So there's that saying of, you know, it's cheesy, but shoot for the moon and you'll end up in the stars. And I think that's bears out here. So, you know, you might be shooting for something and you don't quite get there, but there are other benefits that you get from trying for that nearly impossible or impossible goal. Uh, and, you know, as long as you don't get too bogged down in feeling like a failure or those sort of personal consequences of not achieving goals, then it can be a really good thing. So that's what really stuck out for me. Yeah. What I liked about it is just that as they just talk about as humans, we we tend to be very overconfident in what we can achieve. Yeah. And I can state that a lot. When prior to COVID, I was traveling a lot and you know, you eat poorly, you sleep poorly, you drink too much, and I was gaining weight. And so I was like, Okay, by April I'll have lost ten pounds. And it's like, yeah. no, you won't. No, you won't. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think we overestimate what we can do, which is I guess part of the charm of being a human being but at the same time it's like yeah some things you just got to maybe work on try some smaller goals maybe or incremental goals yeah and i think people are increasingly incredibly hard on themselves mm -hmm. like just because you didn't get there doesn't mean you're a total failure as like a professional like it just you see that a lot uh, in a lot of the people that we work with and just sort of in society where people are so focused on win fail and there's like not mm -hmm. any room for gray and i think that we have to be a little more empathetic with each other and with ourselves because there's just so much going on i don't disagree with setting an unattainable goal but i think that you have to be smart about it and realize that if it doesn't happen it's not condemnation of you as a person yeah because you want to put out really hokey memes and, and weird sayings moon stars i mean it's, it's not the goal but it's the pursuit of the goal that's important yeah and yeah, you might not succeed in the time period, but I think there's a lot to learn about the steps there. That's the value. It's the journey. Yes. It's so, I feel like as I get older, like some of those memes become more true. And I'm like, yeah, that's actually really right. Mm -hmm. uh, you might have people who are like, well, you're soft and you just didn't try hard enough. And it's like, well, there's a price to be paid for trying too hard also. So I think yep. there's a balance and it's different for every person. You can't just paint everybody with the same brush and say, if you failed, it means you're weak. It's like, well, that's 
totally not the whole story. Which I think is one of the key parts in the check-in meetings throughout the years on goals is not to say, you better have your goal done. You said you'll have it done by August is let's discuss the process. Let's discuss what you've learned. Let's discuss what obstacles you might have met. Let's discuss uh, some support. Exactly. What do you need from us to help you? And, and so human nature is we, we want to do better. We want to learn. We want to be listened to. And I think these check-in goal meetings are just, they satisfy all those points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much good stuff that comes out from any kind of a check-in and definitely checking in on these goals and making it more than just a piece of paper that you bring with you every three months. Yep. It, it's really worth it for sure. Yeah. As I said, I had my meeting yesterday and it was like, well, Mike, what are your goals? And I sort of had uh, four goals, uh, reasonable. And in preparing for the meeting, I, I really had to sit there and go, you know, can I do that? How am I going to do it? It got me excited. Like these mm-hmm. are things I want to work on because I know if I'm able, especially as a, as the leader of our company, if I'm able to achieve my goals, I'm going to make other people's lives a lot easier. Right. Yeah. So there's a real trickle effect too, which is great. Definitely. Well, and you're setting an example. So it's not yes. like you are exempt from the review or goals process. Uh, and, you know, we always talk about leadership and how the leaders have to set the example and have to walk the talk. And that's a perfect example of that. Yep, for sure. So let's get to how we close every one of our episodes. Let's talk about the wins and fails we've seen in HR, people, life. Love it. Okay. I'll start. Okay. So my fail is local-ish to here in Ontario, Canada. So it seems incredible to me that after a year and a bit of COVID, we're still having giant outbreaks at factory type settings. So my fail is, uh, and I'm not saying picking on them because I'm a vegan, but the Cargill chicken processing plant in London, Ontario, so just down the road from us, It had to be shut for two weeks because basically 82 of 900 workers were uh, COVID positive. And uh, they talk about how definitely, I mean, they were close together, you know, cheek by jowl, ripping chickens apart. But also uh, there's some element of people socializing outside of work that have likely contributed to it. So there's here in Canada, I know in the States, things are sort of becoming more under control. But here in Canada, we're suffering a bit from uh, a third wave of variants, and it's hitting younger people, you know, putting my hand up. uh, And us younger people are not vaccinated yet, and likely won't be for a couple of months yet. So it just, to me, this is a pretty big fail, like we had all this time to figure this out, and it's still happening. So that's my fail for the week. I see your fail, and I'll raise it. Love it. Okay, go. So on the COVID, so that mine's sort of a, a two situation. So again, all the signs were there months ago. We finished our second lockdown beginning of February. Mm-hmm. And all the medical experts said, you know what? It's probably a couple of weeks premature. These variants are starting to take hold. If we just shut down for two more weeks, we'll, we'll, we'll smother them. We'll be fine. But they didn't. The government did not. Our local provincial government. And then about... Oh, like three weeks ago, they're like, oh, we're getting better. Even though you saw the cases of variants and they started lifting restrictions and allowing mm-hmm. restaurants to open. And I mean, the city next to where you are, they were like, yeah, you're open, start going. And then a week later, they shut it down. Yeah. And now we're in this position that most likely avoidable if the government had listened to medical experts, even though they say all the time they do and everything is based on medicine. And one of our ministers got caught being honest. 
and basically admitted that the reason why they didn't shut down sooner is they weren't sure that the modeling was going to work and they wanted to see the modeling come to reality before they acted. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, great, you're basically saying, you know, crash test dummies, we're not sure if it really works in reality. So let's put some people into these cars and smash them up. Yeah. And it was just like, wow. But my real fail of the week, this gets down to the workplace similar to yours. So read a horrible story a couple of weeks ago about a physician who was dealing with a young person, as you were saying, in his early 30s, had been on a ventilator for three weeks, still had a lot of neurologic issues, even though he was off the ventilator. This uh, person worked in the financial district in downtown uh, Toronto. And basically, the story was his boss said, I want to see people at work. I don't like this remote work. I need to see your face. Mm-hmm. So basically force people to come to work when they shouldn't have, which is con- that actually contravene what our government recommendations are. And he shared an office with another person who refused to wear a mask and practice PPE and social distancing. And so not only do you have a, a really insecure boss, but also didn't uh, enforce rules that were there to protect other people. And I'm just thinking, I feel so bad for this person who's just trying to make a living and is put into this horrible position that is, who knows if this is going to be a permanent thing for him. But then I'm also thinking for an HR fact, uh, boy, this company is so open to litigation on this one. Like so open. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I'm not going to say more, but I, I think that that attitude in sort of more traditional offices is a lot more prevalent than we'd maybe like to yeah. admit, uh, for sure. But I'll, I'll give you my win. And okay. my win is, this is the only time in my life I've been happy to be over 55. I got my first vaccine. At the yeah. So uh, it'll be two weeks on this coming Saturday. So I'll have some level of uh, protection. So yeah, I'm feeling good about that. So, And I see a lot of my peer groups, friends on Facebook that are, are getting vaccinated. So the vaccines are coming. So I feel good about that. Yeah, that's a great win. Yeah. What's your win? Uh, different topic. So, uh, but still HR human related. So there was this person, uh, mother and daughter in Kitchener, Ontario, which is close to us. Uh, and the daughter's five years old and she went to school and her five-year-old daughter was getting bullied because she looks different than the other people in her class. Basically, there's the little kids and they're like, well, you can't play with us. You can't sit with us. You're different. You're different. So uh, what this mother did, who's an education assistant, is she wrote a book about diversity and inclusion. And as a a result of this bullying incident, and because she's an education assistant, she has the ways to sort of get the book out and get the message out. So it's a negative that turned into a positive. And it was just a really nice story about, uh, you know, how they sort of overcame it. So the author's name, the mother's name is Marswa Blossom Yarmeto. And the book is called Black, Brown or White, We All Feel. So really cute. And just a really nice doing something about the bullying that her daughter was experiencing. So and opening up a way to talk about diversity with kids. Wonderful. What a great, great, great uh, win to uh, end on. Yeah. Awesome. See you next time, Katie. Righteous. Thanks, Mike. And also, if anybody has any HR ideas or questions that they would like us to discuss, don't hesitate to email us at info at oculusinsights.net or just reach out to us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram. We'll see you next time. Keep safe.
Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.